Merry Christmas. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Rooftop. We'll get to that video in a second. Um, <clears throat> there's a painting I really like by an Italian artist named Raphael. The fresco is called the School of Athens. And the Pope actually had this painting commissioned, uh, com- uh, had Raphael commissioned, commissioned Raphael to paint it, rather, uh, inside the Vatican in the early 1500s. And it features a big lecture hall with some of Greece's most brilliant minds, including Pythagoras and uh, Archimedes and Diogenes and uh, Plato. I think I said Diogenes wrong. Uh, Plato and Aristotle at the center, there in the center. But also down in the right corner, way over there on the right side, appears the, the tiny little curious head of a man who was not famous at the time. Uh, you can maybe guess that the guy in the middle is, that's the head of Raphael himself. The artist uh, took the liberty to paint himself into the scene. Raphael was not the only artist to do this. There's another painting by French artist Jacques-Louis David called The Coronation of the Emperor Napoleon I and the Crowning of the Empress Josephine in Notre Dame Cathedral on December 2nd, 1804. Yes, that's the entire name of the painting. If you peer into the crowd, you can see a picture of the artist himself in the back. David paints himself into the scene, literally painting the scene. (laughs) Here's another one. One of the most famous Dutch still life artists in the 17th century was Clara Peters. Still life with cheeses, almonds, and pretzels, which she painted in 1615, is one of her most famous and well-known works. I don't know about you, but I actually like a good still life, and this painting makes me really want some cheese. And if you squint really hard, though, your discerning eye can see the artist's reflection in the top of the wine flask. Artists do this sometimes. They like to appear in their own work. It's their way of claiming the work as their own. It's their way of taking part in it from the inside. I bring this up because it reminds me of Christmas. What do we celebrate at Christmas? We celebrate God coming to earth in the form of a human baby in the person of Jesus. The artist appears in the picture. He did this to grow up and die for our sins and defeat the power of death. He also did this to prove to us that he could understand what it's like to be a human being. We don't worship a God who can't sympathize with us. He entered our world. He he painted himself into the painting. The creator became a creature within his own work. This is what we remember on Christmas. The creator becoming a creature. And this is also what the first chapter of John is about, the passage that we just heard read to us in that scene from The Chosen. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1 in the New Testament, the disciple John introduces us to Jesus as the creator of the world. You just heard the words read, but here they are again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
Then a couple paragraphs later, down in the passage, John gets to what is his main point. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John's overarching point here is that the man who came to us as the savior of the world, born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, born to a virgin, is also its creator. And what I want to do this morning and then later this evening at our 9 o'clock service is look a little bit more closely at the two ideas here that the creator becomes a creature. Frankly, this is one of the most profound things any of us will ever contemplate. It is the essence of Christmas, the reason for the season. But what does it mean? How is it true? How is Jesus of Nazareth, a baby born in Bethlehem, both the creator of the universe and a creature within it? For this morning's message, I want to look at the first half of this idea, Jesus as creator. And if you want to come back tonight, you'll get to hear part two. Jesus as creature. So let's start with the first idea, Jesus as creator. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God, with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Hopefully you've picked up how similar these opening lines are to the first line of the Bible, that line that uh, Jesus read from Genesis in the clip we just showed. We've been studying Genesis uh, chapter 1 here at Rooftop for the past few months, so this actually might sound familiar. I mean, Genesis is the first book of the Bible uh, and tells the story of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the author writes. So by starting his gospel with words similar to Genesis written about Jesus of Nazareth many centuries later, the writer John is identifying God or Jesus with the God who created everything. John calls Jesus the word for reasons that we'll get to in a minute. But his simple point is that Jesus was present at creation as the God who made it. He was God. He was with God. And Jesus is the very agent of creation. Through him all things were made, John says. There was nothing in the universe that was made that was not made except through Jesus. You weren't made except through Jesus. I wasn't made except for Jesus, those very difficult family members that we have to see over the next couple days weren't made except for Jesus. Now, honestly, I've wondered about this a lot. I mean, how did this work exactly? How was the universe created through Jesus? That's what John says. The universe was created through Jesus. How? What? Theologians have actually wondered this too. The story of creation in Genesis is a strictly monotheistic text. What I mean is that God and God alone created the universe. We don't know how he did it, but he did it by himself. Now, we also read in Genesis that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And we read in John and elsewhere in the New Testament that Jesus was also present at creation as God. So this was some type of team effort, Father, Son, Spirit. But how did that work? I mean, did they divide up responsibilities? Was it, was like, a, was it like a group project or something at school? I hope not. <laughs> I mean, I remember doing group projects at school they were terrible. Everybody has something to do, but not everybody shows up with their work done. You know what I'm describing. 
Bob was supposed to bring the poster board. Lucy was supposed to do the bibliography. Sarah was supposed to lead the presentation. But none of them do all that. So unless I want to get a failing grade, I end up having to get the poster board and do the bibliography and do the research and write the report and do the presentation. Was creation like that only with better execution? You know, the father writes the laws of physics, the spirit forms the galaxies, the son goes to Walgreens, he gets the poster board. Did they get an A on it? And was it even a true group project if God the Father, Son, and Spirit are kind of like the same being anyway? We don't know. These are mysteries beyond our comprehension, at least beyond mine. Maybe you'll have better luck figuring them out. Theologians have theories and models of how the universe came to be from a Trinitarian God, but we just don't know. We don't have a video recording of creation happening, what exactly Jesus' role was in it. What we do have, though, is the book of Genesis. And if you read John's version of that story in his gospel, you can tell that he is interpreting the story of creation with Christ at the center as the means of creation, even as the force of creation. Now, I know that's a hard thing to get your head around, But let me show you what I mean. So in John's version of the creation story, he retells the story of Genesis, emphasizing Jesus' role in it. We read in John that Jesus is the logos of creation. Jesus is the life of creation. And Jesus is the light of creation. All images that occur in Genesis. The logos, the life, and the light, and Jesus is every single one of them. Let's briefly talk about each. First, Jesus is the logos of creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Gospel of John was originally written in the blank language, Greek. And the Greek word for word is logos. So it's a very important Greek word with lots of different meanings. It's used by Greek philosophers in one way. It's used by Jewish poets in another way. Lots of scholars have tried to figure out how exactly John is using this word, logos, to describe Jesus. But I don't think it's actually that complicated. Like we talked about last week, how does the book of Genesis say that God created the universe? With a speech. And God said... Let there be, occurs 11 times in the story. When God wants something to happen, he uses his words. God's words, his logoi, have power. Not only do God's words have power, but they reveal who he is. All of our words do this. Words are how we express ourselves. Words are how we make ourselves known. When we were little and we wanted something, we would point or we would cry or we would grunt. And what would our parents say? Use your words. Words allow you to express who you are, what you want. You know, I love words. When I'm writing a sermon or something, I will labor over just the perfect word to use with just the perfect meaning. The dictionary and thesaurus apps are the second and third most frequently used apps on my phone. You want to know what the first one is? Wordle. (laughs) Duh. 
Do you like that, Steve? Do you like that? <laughs> What's that? Yeah, I, I got today's and two guesses. That's right. I won't tell you what it is, but the word is grace. <laughs> Oops. I thought that was an appropriate word for Wordle today. Using just the right word and grace is the right word matters. As Mark Twain said, the difference between the almost right word and the right word is really a large matter. It's the difference between the lightning bug and the lightning. You don't go out in the backyard to catch lightning. Your evening ends very differently. When it comes to God communicating who he is, Jesus is the right word. He's not the almost right word. He's the right word. The perfect word, as the book of Hebrews says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He's the perfect word. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. Now, why does this matter? Because if Jesus is the word of God through whom he created the universe, it means that God likes to talk. That's why I use words to speak to people. God is speaking to us through Jesus. God is revealing his desires and his plan for our lives. That's why we call the Bible the word. This is why the Christians are Bible people. Uh, this is why my favorite hour of the day is between five and six in the morning when I'm studying the word. That's when I get to hear what my creator has to say to me. That's when I get to have words with him which has been known to happen. That's when he teaches me how to use my words. Use your words. As I listen to his, usually my time in the word gets broken up a little after six in the morning when my daughter starts talking to me through the vent. Her bedroom is right above my office and we are connected by a really short vent. Daddy, can you bring on my toothbrush? Daddy, do I have to go to school today? Daddy, how's your Bible study going? <laughs> but for a precious hour, I get to read, study, and listen to the words of the creator who spoke, who spoke everything into existence and is now speaking, not through the vent, but through the word, <laughs> to me. Do you have that sort of relationship with the word? Do you make space in your life to read it, listen to it, learn from it? Jesus is the logos of creation. Secondly, Jesus is the life, as John writes. In him was life. Uh, this is another idea from Genesis. So if you remember the story of creation, God didn't, in Genesis, just didn't create a dead planet with empty oceans and a barren landscape. God created a living planet with animals in the sea and mammals on the land, and ones that reproduce. Let the land produce living creatures, Genesis writes. And later in Genesis chapter 2, when God creates a human being out of the dust of the earth, what does he do? Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. God creates a living planet. So what is John saying here about Jesus? If life is in Jesus, Jesus is the one who breathed all life into existence. Jesus is the one who brought creation to life. 
This also becomes a theme in Jesus' ministry, bringing people to life. I mean, sometimes Jesus does this quite literally. How many dead people does Jesus bring back to life in the Gospels? Anybody know? In fact, three. One, two, three. The widow's son in Luke 7, Jairus' daughter in Luke 8, and Lazarus in John 11. Two of these are children, which I think reveals God's heart for kids. Interestingly, interestingly though, how does Jesus give these people life again? By speaking to them. Get up, he says. Which I think is a little rude, but effective. Get up. There's power in the words of Jesus. Just like Jesus created the universe out of nothing by his powerful word, he brings the dead to life by a simple command. Get up. This is why John, in his later epistle, calls Jesus the word of life. And this is why Jesus speaks to us, so that we may have life. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Whoever hears my word has eternal life and is crossed over from death to life. That whoever includes you and includes me, you see, we're all dead. We're all dead. By dead, I mean we have no hope to live forever in our guilt and our sin. No true and lasting joy. No real peace. That's just one of the unfortunate consequences of being a member of the human species. We are a fallen people, people who are falling further into the grave by the day. I saw a movie uh, this week up at Ronnie's, uh, which reminded me of this. I wouldn't have normally gone to see it, but my son really likes smart movies, so he dragged me to see it. It's called Concrete Utopia. It's an apocalyptic movie from South Korea that tells the story of the residents of an apartment building in Seoul after a global catastrophe reduces civilization to rubble. The residents of this apartment complex fall under the thumb of a violent apartment dictator and give in to their greed and their violence and their fear and their xenophobia. It's actually one of the better apocalyptic movies I've seen because it doesn't really deal with the apocalypse but focuses on the people living in it. And the movie's point, if you watch it closely, is that we are already living in it. We don't need to wait for some global catastrophe to kill us all. We are all already dead. Just look at how we treat each other and kill each other and waste our lives on earthly pursuits. The movie is not describing apocalyptic behavior. The movie is describing current behavior. We're already dead. But by the voice of Jesus, we can be made alive. Get up, he says. Get up from your sin. Get up from your depression. Get up from your addiction. Get up from your cancer. Get up from your disease. Get up from your mental illness. Get up and receive the gift of eternal life available to you now in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Get up. Jesus is the logos. Jesus is the life. And lastly, Jesus is the light of creation. In him was life, John writes, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the third and the final Genesis image that John uses. What was God's, you tell me, what was God's first act of creation in Genesis? 
let there be light. Now, we wrestled with this verse in our study because it's not until day four that God creates the sun. How do you have light without the sun? We don't need to overthink this. God's first act of creation was to split the pre-creation darkness into day and night, and he does so through the light. John's saying that Jesus is that light. Jesus was the one who shone forth in the darkness and held the night back. And Jesus is still shining. He's still illuminating. Jesus is illuminating our ignorance. Jesus is lighting our paths forward. Jesus is giving us hope in our despair, joy in our gloom. No matter how black and thick that darkness is, Jesus says, it cannot overcome the light of Jesus Christ. This is what darkness wants to do, though, right? Darkness wants to overcome us. Darkness wants to envelop us. Darkness wants to blind us. You see, in the Bible, darkness isn't really a condition. Darkness is an entity that's coming for you. In the book of Genesis, Abraham is overcome by a thick and dreadful darkness. Job, in the book of Job, lives in fear of the darkness that has come for his family. Even the plague of darkness in the book of Exodus, it creeps across the land, plunging people into fear and blindness. The darkness moves. The darkness is coming for you to rob you of your hope and your joy and your peace. And it's scary with the darkness coming for you. Do you know that there is a word for the line on the earth that demarcates where the sun lights the earth and where its shadow moves across the surface of the planet. We can't see this line because we are living on the earth, but astronauts can see the line of darkness moving across the surface of the earth as the earth rotates. Do you know what they call this line of darkness? The Terminator. They call the line the Terminator. It's the place where light terminates on a planetary body, and it's terrifying with the Terminator coming for you. The astronauts who were orbiting the moon when they passed through the moon's Terminator, they were cut off from all light and communication on Earth uh, on the backside of the moon, and they came back saying they had never known such darkness on the other side of the Terminator. You can't even see the moon underneath you. The darkness surrounds you, and you wonder, will we ever see light again? Some of you right now are in the sort of place in life where you might be wondering that. Will I ever see light again? Since we're doing weird science illustrations, here's another one. Uh, Recently, scientists developed the darkest, blackest material ever produced by humans. It's called Vantablack. Vantablack is the world's darkest material. Vantablack is made of billions of carbon nanotubes that absorb 99.965% of light. It is so dark that anything made of this material looks like a hole in the fabric of reality. It plays tricks on your brain. Since the development of Vantablack, demand has skyrocketed militaries, artists, and cat burglars are eager to get their hands on Vantablack. 
so they can just blend into the darkness. Here's the thing. The darkness described in the Bible, the darkness that you and I deal with on a daily basis is darker than Vantablack. The darkness of our sin blinds us to the love and reality of God. The darkness of death eclipses our hope in life beyond the grave. The darkness of our mental and family and physical problems robs us of joy. And that darkness is coming for you. Like the Terminator. But while the darkness is coming, it just cannot overcome the light of Jesus Christ. What does John say? The light shines in the darkness and the Vanta black has not overcome it. No matter how dark the world is, Jesus is brighter. As the Lagos himself says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the Lagos of creation. Jesus is the life of creation. Jesus is the light of creation. Basically, Jesus is the creator who brought all things into existence. So in order to really appreciate the fact that Jesus came as a creature, we have to understand first who he is as a creator. Now, why would he do this? Why would the creator come as a creature? We'll talk more about that tonight, and I do hope we see you. But let me leave you with one final illustration. Artists are not the only ones who like to appear in their work. Uh, movie directors do it too. Alfred Hitchcock, Martin Scorsese, Peter Jackson, M. Night Shyamalan, they are known to write themselves into their movies. Sometimes they do it to give themselves bit roles, sometimes big ones, and apparently they would do it for lots of reasons. Sometimes it's a joke, sometimes it's a calling card for the audience, sometimes they just like to act. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock was very famous for making uh, cameo appearances and it all started when the filming of, during the filming of one of his first movies, uh, the actor who was supposed to play this part, he didn't show up. So Hitchcock filled the role and he just kind of kept appearing in films. In one instance, though, director Quentin Tarantino played a role for a different reason. He had written a key character for his movie, Pulp Fiction. He actually wrote the role for uh, Steve Buscemi, another famous actor. Buscemi apparently just could not get it right, though. It's a really important role with a big key speech. So in order to save the movie, Tarantino said, I'll just play it. And he did. Movie went on to win five Oscars. This makes sense. I mean... Who better than a creator knows how to play the part? This is why Jesus came to earth as our creator. We were supposed to play the part. We were supposed to love each other and serve God and care for his planet. We were created to be the logos, the life and the light of God, but we couldn't get it right. We just ended up ruining the movie. So Jesus said, I'll just play the part. I'll save the movie. I created the universe, I might as well be its star. Your movie, my movie, needs a new star. Our paintings need a new subject. Our still lifes need a new block of cheese. We're old and green and moldy. Let Jesus take the role 
He's your creator. He's your light. He's your life. The very word of God. Let him be the star. He's not going to screw it up. He created the universe. He brought it into being by the power of his word. He separated the darkness and brought dead things to life. You let him be the subject of your painting. The lead in your movie and your life will be as beautiful as the creator always intended it to be. Band's going to come up right now, lead us in a song of praise to our creator who entered our world to rescue us from sin and death. I invite you to stand and sing along with him. Afterwards, I'll come back up for the prayer.